Yeah, thank you so much for listening to our Big Time Talker podcast. We're everywhere now on Spotify, Apple, iTunes, iHeartRadio, wherever you uh, can subscribe to your podcast, you're likely to find us. Hope you do subscribe and uh, that you tell a friend if you like the conversations. We talk to people from all walks of life, uh, entertainers, athletes, best-selling authors, subject matter experts, anyone who's a big-time talker, and the show is brought to you uh, by SpeakerMatch.com, who is the, the world's largest online speakers bureau. They know all about big-time talkers, and if you are a platform speaker or maybe you're a meeting planner and you're looking for a speaker, check out SpeakerMatch.com. On today's program, uh, a musical artist who's been around for many years now, but at this stage in his career has released what may turn out to be his signature song. It's a timeless song that talks about love in no uncertain terms, and it's inspired by an incredible love story in his own life. David Searing is our guest on the Big Time Talker podcast. David, welcome to the show. Thanks, Bert, and thanks for having me. So the new song is The Vow, and it is about something that uh, that is, is very timeless. It's very spiritual. Um, but you don't get to write a song like The Vow without having an entire depth and breadth of, of experience, life experience and, and musical experience on top of that life experience. So I'd like to unwind the onion with you a little bit and, and tell us how we got to this point. So uh, where did you grow up? Where is you, your, your hometown? I grew up in a little town called Green Bay, Wisconsin, and um, you might know they have a football team there. There is a football team there. Yep. Yeah, and and that's where I grew up. Um, my uh, my father was a music teacher in the public school system. Um, my mother was a singer, um, and um, out of ten children, I was the one that received the. Uh, the gift or the seed of the music. So I'm the only one out of 10 that has, has taken this on as a career. Wait, wait a minute. You had nine siblings, nine siblings. Yes. Five boys and five girls. So mealtime at, at the Searing household must've been out of hand. Uh, to say the least. I mean, it was not only out of hand, it was, uh, well, you had to really, uh, appreciate with, with, <laughs> with all of us sitting around the table at the same time, but my father was real strict about eating uh, conditions. You know, you had to put your fork or your knife on the, on the side of the plate and, and you, you know, you had to use your napkin uh, to wipe your mouth every time you took a bite. Um, so uh, it, it was quite the, quite the adventure to say the least. So with, with parents, you know, you said your dad's a music teacher, your mom's a singer. Um, I mean, unless your mom is Diana Ross, then then that's a lot of mouths to feed on a music teacher and a singer's salaries. W were times tough in Green Bay, Wisconsin for the Searing yeah. Plan? They were very tough. I mean, my dad, you know, he taught school during the day. And then on the weekends, he would uh, uh, he grabbed his trumpet. and He played in, in different combos uh, on Fridays and Saturday nights playing weddings or parties or or what have you, and and uh, and and he, he, for tw for a four or five hour gig, you got twenty five bucks. But that wow. twenty dollars, that fifty dollars uh, every weekend, uh, helped put food on the table. We also had a huge backyard, so we had a great, great garden. I mean, we grew everything that you can imagine. Because then mother would can uh, all the all the vegetables in the fall for the for the winter. Did you know as a kid growing up in a big family like that, uh, that you were poor or were you just swimming in that ocean, uh, sort of oblivious to it? I think swimming in the, in the ocean, you know, you, 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 back then, and you know, times were different back then, but you, you, you lived within your means. And I mean, I remember, you know, for Christmas, I get hand down clothes from my, you know, brothers who were older than me. Um, and, and that's fine. I mean, we, I never thought of it as being poor because uh, to be honest with you, we were rich in love. My, my mother and father really raised uh, 10 great kids. Well, nine, and you know what I mean? And you, yeah. Yeah. But <laughs> they, they raised us with respect and love and, and, uh, 
I can tell you as of today, each one of my siblings uh, reflects that in their lives and, and, and their respective families, you know, with their kids and their grandkids. So it's, no, I didn't think we were poor. Where did you come into the pecking order? How far into that list of 10 were you? You got older siblings, you got younger siblings. I was number, so I've got two younger than me and then seven older. Um, and I was number eight. So it was right about the time that the, the oldest was getting ready to leave. Uh, in fact, he was, uh, uh, in the uh, air force so he he was leaving the roost and then i had a younger uh, the sister below him she was gone she was living in california um with her uh biker boyfriend but they come <laughs> so any given time we had you know what but but there were times when we were all there at the same time so it was it was quite adventurous everybody's still around all your siblings still are with you no, I, I lost a sister. Oh my gosh. It's going to be almost uh, 40 years ago. Mm. Uh, I was in the army and, and she was, uh, uh, she took her own life. And, um, it's, it, you know, it's one of those things you don't expect, especially parents, but, uh, but, uh, yeah. It must've been really hard for, for your mom and dad and for everybody. Especially my mother. My mother was just really taken by it. And, and, um, you know, I was in the army at the time and I came home and I, all I could think about was how was my, how are my parents going to get through this? I mean, right. but the only thing that got them through that was their faith in God. That's the only thing that got them through it. Did, uh, you, you said you went away, uh, and joined the military or in the army. Did you, uh, you play music through school. You said uh, of all 10 of you, you're the only one that, that became a musician. Is that something that took root, uh, fairly young for you? Yeah, I was three years old when I started playing the piano by ear. Um, and then uh, uh, by the age of five, uh, they recognized I had, there was something going on with me with music because <clears throat> we were at the Catholic church. My dad was the choir director. My mother sang in the church. And I would sit in the, the front pew with the, rest of, with the rest of the family. And my big thing was to just mock the priest. Everything he did, I did. And it was, <laughs> it was humorous for some people, but not for, for father rank less. He, so for others. Yeah. And he went to my parents and said, you got two choices. You can either put David in the, in the choir loft with you where nobody can see him or <laughs> worship at. <laughs> so I ended up in the, I ended up in the choir loft and with, with before long, that was when they were still singing the Latin mass. Right. I knew. Every single part by heart in that Latin mass. I could sing every single part by heart. So they kind of realized that I've got this music thing going on. And of course, just playing the piano, you know, going home and hearing something on the radio or TV and then going to the piano and playing it. Did you take lessons, uh, piano lessons all through school? No, I never, I never took a piano lesson or a voice lesson. Is that it, right? So everything you do is self-taught. Self-taught. Do you play um, incorrectly? So if someone sat down with you, a, a pianist, uh, you know, who's got a lot of training and they look at the way you chord out songs and you put your hands on the keys. Is it anything like the way that your uh, folks are traditionally taught? No, absolutely not. In fact, when I was a little older, I think I was like seven or eight, uh, the choir uh, organist, Pat Hancock, never forget her, great lady. She also taught piano. So my, my mother said, you're going to go take piano lessons from Pat Hancock. I said, oh, okay. So I go to her house. She sits down and she opens up one of these uh, books, the, the, the scale books. She says, I need you to play this. I said, play what? She said, the scales. I said, I don't know. I, I don't know what that is. She said, okay, just, well, you play piano. I said, yes. So I started playing the piano just by ear. And um, it took about 10 minutes before she called my mother on the phone. And she said, you need to come get your son. She said, he's too far gone. He'll never learn traditional piano the way he plays. So that was basically, yeah, I, uh, I developed my own style, my own technique. And, and you can't unlearn it. It's like uh, when I was a little boy, the story was that my father would put the crayon in my right hand 
to teach me to write. And I would put it in the left hand and this went on for six <laughs> months and he finally gave up. Uh, David Searing is our guest today. Fantastic musician, incredible performer, and the uh, writer of uh, the new song, The Vow, that's getting airplay all over the, the country and showing up in weddings nationwide. Check him out at searingsongs.com, searingsongs.com. So by the time you're in high school, are you playing music professionally? Are you making a buck with that piano? Oh, yeah. Um, I got a job when I was 16 years old at a, at, a, at a supper club in Green Bay called Eve's Supper Club. And Eve, their last name was Hall Tofterheide. Okay. What is that last name again? Hall Tofterheide, German. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. She ran. She she ran that restaurant like a, a an SS uh, uh, general in in the <laughs> German military. I mean, with a strong fist, right? So one night, I'm I'm washing dishes. That was my job, busboy and wash dishes. So I'm washing dishes and I'm singing at the top of my lungs. And um, her, her, her son, Rick, was the chef. He, he was like six, seven. I mean, tallest man I ever saw in my life, right? Well, he came up to me and she says, my mom came up, to, uh, came to me and said, you got to go home. You're fired. I said, I'm fired. She said, yeah. She said, she can't stand that singing. I said, that's not very, I mean, I'm 16 years old. So I went home and I told my dad and my dad called her and, um, uh, for some reason, he convinced her that New Year's Eve was coming and she, he, she needed to hire me to play in the bar New Year's Eve at 16 years old. So she did. And we went out and found this, uh, this old uh, uh, Fender Rhodes piano right. and uh, put it in the bar. And I played my first gig at 16 years old uh, at Eve's Supper Club. And that was the beginning of where I am today. At this point in your life, uh, I mean, it's it's been in your life since you were three years old. I would imagine it's sort of like uh, air or water to the rest of us. There's probably not a day that goes by, an hour that goes by, that music isn't somehow in your life. I mean, it's part of the fabric of your being. Yeah, it, it really is. It, it, it is my being. I mean, um, it, it's hard to get away from it. Um, I do a lot of writing. I do a lot of writing in my head when I'm not even at a piano. Um, and the strangest thing, Burke, too, is that when I play the piano solo-wise, um, I can actually hear a complete orchestra accompanying me in the back of my head, which enhances what I think comes out of what I'm doing. I mean, it's it's... Uh, it's uncanny, but it, it, it's also, it, it's kind of haunting in some ways too. But I do, I do music all the time. That's, that's, that's what I've done all my life. Your dad, you said played trumpet. Um, yeah. Piano is, is your main instrument. What else can you play? Uh, well, I play uh, a little, uh, little trombone, a uh, little baritone, a little harmonica. I used to play a little violin, but I got carpal tunnel. So that kind of killed that deal. Um, but, but I basically stick with the piano and the trumpet. David Searing is our guest today. We're talking about his long career in music. His new song is The Vow. I'm excited to play it for you uh, a little bit later on in the conversation. What is it about music that you think grabbed you and, and has guided you through your life? Uh, and as a, a second question there, do you believe that that this is a gift that you have? I mean, you're one of 10 kids. You're the only one with the, the musical thing. So is it a gift? Oh, it's definitely a gift. I mean, I, I will never, ever doubt where it came from. I mean, it, it is a God-given gift. I, I know that. I feel that. I, it, it, I don't, it, it's no effort for me to sit down and play a song off the top of my head uh, that no one's ever heard before. I mean, uh, during church, before church would start, the last church I was at, I would play 15 minutes before, and I'd just start playing classical music, and my sister would come and listen. She said, what song is that? I said, I don't know. I'm just making it up as I go. And so, yes, it is a gift. Um, it's a... <laughs> 
it's unbelievable. It came from above. It, it, came, from oh, above. it came from above. There, there's, there's no other way to put it. I mean, where else would it come from? So when you graduated from high school, and what year was that? What year did you graduate from high school? 1978. I went to college for, uh, I went to the University of Wisconsin, Platteville. Uh, I was going to be an agricultural scientist because I was in the FFA in high school. Right. And the FFA. And the, and the FFA had a national band and I was part of the national band. And so I went, I was going to go to college. Well, when I got there to sign up for all your classes, right, right next to the music department. So I, I went to the music department and signed up, but little did I know the university of Wisconsin Platteville music department is a music department to teach people how to become school teachers. I didn't realize that. Ah, uh-huh. So about a month in, into school, the professor called me into his office and he played me two songs. He says, let me ask you a question. Which two of these songs really appeal to you? So he played the uh, uh, Caruso. He played a song that Caruso was singing, you know, the opera. Yeah. And he played Frank Sinatra. He said, which one of these do you really appeal to? I said, well, of course, the Frank Sinatra. I want to be the next Frank Sinatra. He said, uh, you don't need to be at this school anymore. He says, I think you need to think of something else so wisconsin was in the rearview mirror pretty quickly at that point well yeah because i took the rest it was freezing cold it was getting i knew it was getting cold so i took the rest of my tuition money and i flew to st thomas and spent the rest of that semester at bluebeard's castle on st thomas of british virgin islands and um had the time of my life but then i had to go home so I knew when the semester ended, I flew back to Green Bay, walked in the front door and said, Mom, I'm home from college. She comes around the corner and looks at me and she says, where have you been? I said, I've been to school. She says, son, I'm not an idiot. She said, there's no way that anybody in their right mind can be at a college in the Wisconsin in the dead of winter and have the kind of tan you have on your face. Where the you tan been? gave you away. The t- gave me away. So that was it. And uh, I started working in an office supply store in, in Green Bay and just hated every minute. I didn't know what I was going to do. Well, there was an episode of MASH. I love MASH. Still do today. Right. Um, <laughs> it was an episode where Charles Winchester had a French horn that he was playing terribly. And everybody, you know, and for some reason in my mind, I said, maybe I'll join one of the military bands. So I did. And I ended up in the army band for the next six years in Atlanta, Georgia. What, uh, what was that like to, to go from being a kid in, in Wisconsin who grows up in a huge family to being, uh, in a, a much bigger family in the, the United States armed forces band. It was, uh, at first it was challenging, but then, you know, it, 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 they started recognizing what I, what I was able to do and participate, not only as a trumpet player, uh, but also as a singer and a piano player. And um, I can honestly say it, there's our, there, there are times I think to myself, I regret not staying in for the full 20, 25 years because I really loved being in the Army band. I loved that. I loved the military. And um, one of the greatest things was being able to, uh, <laughs> believe it or not, uh, go to funerals and play taps for the fallen soldiers. That was must have been really tough, though. Oh, I mean, you say it's great, but that must it, have been really emotionally challenging. I never, I, I cried at every single one of them. Yeah, there was a yeah. tear. So, um, well, you picked it, up that trumpet and you took uh, after your old man. I did. Took after dad, and you know, going back to dad, he he uh, he taught me how to play trumpet, but then he taught me how to uh, sing like Louis Armstrong. That was his big thing in, in Wisconsin. And when he would go perform, he was the guy known as the guy who sounds like Louis Armstrong. So uh, he taught me how to do it. And by gosh, I've been doing it ever since. And uh, uh, it, it taken, you know, taking a, a brick out of the old guy's heart. And he, and uh, yeah, a lot of fun. Did you ever stand beside your dad and play trumpet with him together? Oh yeah, several times, several times. In fact, when I had when I would have a concert and he would come to the concert, I would always call him up on stage, and it was probably the worst thing I could have done because he's a bigger ham than I am, 
<laughs> oh, get yeah. off my stage. Get off my stage, son. I mean, you know, but it was great. The chemistry together was just uh, almost uh, 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 Lewis and Martin-esque, you know, Jerry Lewis and Dean Martin-esque. Yep. So, yep. Yeah, I, what I, a great I, honor for you, but I'm sure an even better honor for your dad. That's uh, That's very cool. Yeah. David Searing is our guest. We're talking music and life today. David's new song is The Vow, and you can uh, see the video for The Vow at searingsongs.com, searingsongs.com. There's a whole laundry list of people that you have played with, oh. um, and, and you know I'm just going through it. It's a real all-star list. Helen Reddy, BJ Thomas, uh, Mickey Rooney. You played with Mickey Rooney? I actually opened for Mickey Rooney um um in dallas texas at the dallas at the um, park city playhouse him and phyllis diller also uh that the, these two guys from new york took over this old theater and they would um you know bring in name entertainers and mickey rooney was one of them and phyllis diller and uh, uh they heard of me through a friend of mine and asked me to come and if i would open their shows so uh i'll tell you what phyllis diller was the true what you see is what you got well the real deal huh the real deal and did you know that she was a a concert pianist i had no idea oh my gosh we'd go to we'd go to her suite afterwards she'd have an after you know after party and we'd go to her suite and had a piano there and my god she would sit down we'd do a couple things together then she'd go in and i mean she'd play Beethoven, Chopin, Bach. It was unbelievable. Most people didn't know that she was an accomplished uh, concert pianist. You also sat in with the uh, the Johnny Carson Tonight Show band with uh, Tommy Newsom and those guys. What was that like? Well, they that that's one of the albums I have uh, that I did called A Tribute to Johnny Mercer. And um, the producer in Atlanta uh, at the time, Tim McCabe, said we got to find a, a a name band to do this so we you know we threw some names around the glenn miller orchestra maybe tommy dorsey <clears throat> and he came back and said what if we get the tonight show band i said yeah right how are we going to get the tonight show band he said i'll just call him and ask so um he called uh out there and he got a hold of tommy Newsom. and we're sitting in his living room and tommy you know picks up the phone and you know hello and and uh, so Tim explains that I've got this great uh, arrangements and we want to do a tribute to Johnny Mercer. <laughs> you know, Tommy Newsom, right? You know, he's Mr. Excitement. <laughs> yep. Over the, over the speaker, he says, sounds like a gas. Let's do it. So we did. And um, we, we had the whole band, everybody in that band, except Doc Severinsen. Doc wanted a hundred grand to uh, play on the album. And I said, I don't have, I'm spending a hundred grand just to do the whole album. I don't have another hundred for doc. So uh, we did it without him and uh, recorded at Capitol records right there in, in, uh, in Hollywood. Uh, I actually used Sinatra's uh, podium that he used when he was at Capitol. And uh, it was really unbelievable to work with those guys and, and uh, the professionalism and just, uh, how nice they were because they love the music. They love the arrangements. I've been in that studio that you talked about a couple of times and uh, uh, people may think about the, the iconic Capitol records building mm -hmm. in Hollywood with, it looks like a stack of 45 RPM records in the basement right. there are the studios, the Capitol record studios. And, and I don't know, David, if you had the same experience, but as you walk down that ramp, towards studio B and there are pictures up of the artists that have recorded there, you know, Sinatra yeah. and Judy Garland and the beach boys. Yeah. And, and you walk into that studio, you must've felt like you were standing on hallowed ground. Well, of course, you know, what am I doing here? Why, why am I here? You know? And uh, it really was like you were, you were in the presence of some of the greatest ever, you know? And um, then I realized, and I don't know if you know this, do you know that, way deep down in that building they have reverb chambers did you know that i did know that yeah they took me down and so we you know i said this is incredible that they, they have all these reverb these reverb chambers down here and they they're able to uh use those chambers all over the world when people now that they can you know they'll dial in and they can actually use that reverb chamber on their recording it's amazing David, when you uh, when you recorded your first album, 
How old were you and what were the circumstances around that? Because you obviously have been performing for a long time before you transitioned into studio work. Right. Um, my first album I wrote was just original songs called Belongs to You. And um, if you listen to the recording, it is really, it is really, uh, oh, how do I want to say it? It's rinky tink because I did it in a guy's garage in Atlanta. And um, the songs are great, but the quality of the album isn't that good. Um, but it was my first try at it. And, sure. you know, uh, you learn. And we went on from that. And then I, I recorded another album. Um, I can't, I think the next album was the Mercer album. Yeah, the Mercer album. Then I did another album of original stuff called Heart Notes. And I was recovering from uh, colon surgery. I had a I had a benign tumor in my colon that had to be removed. So while I was recovering, I, uh, I wrote this uh, original no singing um, album called Heart Notes. And one of those songs on there is called Katie's Theme and, and it was dedicated to Katie Couric um, after her husband was diagnosed with uh, colon cancer mm. and sent her a copy. I've got, she sent me a nice letter back and, but, uh, I think, you know, growing in that atmosphere of recording, once we got to, you know, capital, um, I realized this is what it's supposed to be like. And this is, you know, this is how we're supposed to do it. And that's a whole different beast, right? For people that are not in the entertainment business, doing live performance is one thing. Putting it all down in a studio is a completely different skill set. Oh, Absolutely. I mean, it's like when you make, when they make movies or TVs, they, you know, they, they make movies, uh, you know, a scene is shot maybe two, three minutes at a time. Um, so when you're in the studio, it is different because you don't have that live uh, energy that, you, that you, you feeds to you when you're on stage performing. So um, yeah, it, it, it's, it's a whole lot different. And um, which the, do you prefer? Do you prefer I'm live sorry. or do you prefer uh, recording in the studio? You know, I prefer live. I, I, I have to tell you that because I love performing to an audience. I, I love the, the, the vibe, the feel, um, what I'm getting back from them while I'm performing. The studio is a little intimidating because, first of all, most people don't like hearing their own voice. Are you one of those people? I am one of those people. I do not like hearing my own voice because I just don't think my voice is as good as everybody else thinks it is. That's just me personally. So when we were doing the vow in Nashville, of course, I was at uh, uh, Sound Studios and a great producer. Uh, he really worked me. I mean, really worked me hard. And it's interesting, Burke, because I'm not a country artist. I'm, I, I do a little country, you know, for, for when I do a show, just to throw something in there to appease people like country music. But this song that I wrote came out country and that's where it's at. But why? I don't know. I don't know why it came out country. Uh, and I, I think the studio had a lot to do with it because of the fact that the players that we had were country, country players, you know. And it gave it that flavor. The song we're talking about is the vow. It's an incredibly beautiful song. And, uh, we're going to play that for you in just a couple of minutes, so be sure to hang in there. You can check out David at David Searing's website. It is uh, his last name, Searing, S-E-E-R-I-N-G, SearingSongs.com. You can see a video for The Vow and get more info on David. I wonder if uh, the fact that you wound up being uh, you know, a, a northerner who became a transplanted southerner, if that may have influenced things. I, I saw that you play with the Atlanta Pops Orchestra, and then you wound up uh, becoming sort of the, the artist of residence for many years in the Fort Walton Beach, Destin, Florida area. How did that happen? Yeah, yeah well, I was in Atlanta at the time. I was married, previous marriage. My wife was a singer with me. Um, and we did, you know, we were together. Uh, and, and we just had a wonderful time doing, you know, duets. And we did all the you know, the famous duets of, of married singers. And, um, and uh, there was a guy down in, in Destin who 
had liquor stores in Atlanta. He came into one of the clubs we were performing. He says, I have a place down in Destin, Florida. Uh, why don't you guys come down for a weekend? And I go, Destin, Florida, where's that? And so he told me, <clears throat> he said, we have beautiful beaches. I said, I'm not a beach person. I don't think I'd be interested. He says, but I hear you like to golf. I said, I love to golf. He said, we got great golf courses there. I said, what weekend do you want us to come? So um, that's, we went down. I instantly fell in love with the place, stayed there. Uh, and eventually, you know, our marriage ended, which is okay. Uh, she went back to Atlanta. I stayed in, in Destin, Fort Walton. And that's where I'd been for the last 35 years. You know, uh, David, you'd share with me in one of our first conversations, and, and I'm going to bring it up, and, and you have the uh, the ability to to talk about it or not talk about it, but you came really, really close to doing really, really big things in the entertainment business, and I mean really big things with your first wife, but it all fell apart at the last minute. Can you uh, can you talk to us a little bit about that and, and, and maybe sure. give us the Reader's Digest condensed version there? Yeah, and it's it's interesting you say that because if 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 it did go if it did go through, you and I would not be having this conversation, right? Um, or at so, least a completely uh, different conversation. Exactly. So we were in Lake Tahoe at um, uh, the Hyatt Regency Lake Tahoe performing, and this gentleman came up to us and said, "I'd like to talk to you two about representing you as your agent." And I go, "Oh, okay." And my wife at the time was like, "Yeah, you know that in the nickel. Everybody wants to, you know." you know, thinks they're going to represent. She had, a, she was kind of a, um, a hard ass if I may be able to say uh, that, but fair enough. Anyway, it turned out that he asked us to come to LA and we did. And we met with him When we walked into his office. The first picture I saw was Mel Torme. And then I saw a picture of Yakov Smirnoff. And then I saw a picture of Roger Miller. Then I saw a picture of Robin Williams. And I'm going, if this guy's a fake, he's a doing a really good job of it, you know? Mm-hmm. But it turns out he was the agent for all those people, especially Mel Torme. And what he wanted to do, he said he wanted to make us the next Steve Lawrence or Edie Gourmet, the next Sonny and Cher, the next married couple that performs together. And we eventually left Lake Tahoe, moved down to Southern Cal, and he set up a, uh, uh, what they call a showcase, where he invited several different agents and agencies to come to listen to audition. So we auditioned for 30 minutes. We did our shtick, our stuff. He called us the next day and he says, uh, I've had several uh, inquiries about you, but the one I want to go with is the one I think I'm going to take. He says, they want first right of refusal. And he said, I said, okay, who's that? He says, well, the buyer for the Johnny Carson show saw you told Johnny about you and he wants to introduce you to the world. And of course, wow. when I heard that every ounce of anything in my body just froze. And the only thing that went through my head was if you're on the Johnny Carson show and he introduces you, you pretty much have your career started and, and you're on your way. You can write your own ticket at that point. At that time, the Carson yeah. show was by far the biggest launching pad for talent in America. Exactly. And on top of that, I had a huge agent that knows everybody in the business. His name was Dale Sheets. I think you, you know who he yeah, is. Absolutely. He was, and he before he was an agent, he was huge in the, in the entertainment business. I mean, this guy ran uh, record companies and, and, and studios and networks. And I'm thinking, here we go. All my work, all my work and all my stuff is finally going to pay off. Well, hang the phone up. And I go to my lovely wife. I said, isn't this unbelievable? This is exactly what we wanted, you know? And I met her and I, she wanted to be the next Barbara Streisand. Of course, I wanted to be the next Frank Sinatra. And we worked hard at it. And it was almost as if somebody took a, huge bucket of ice and poured it over her head because there was no reaction from her whatsoever. And eventually a week later, she left, couldn't find her. I don't know where she went. She came home, sat down on the couch and said, I don't want to do this anymore. I said, do what? Uh. <laughs> do what? Stop drinking or what? Eating? Uh. Now, 
I don't want to perform anymore. I said, what are you talking about? She says, I just want to do this. And the next day she got an airline ticket and flew back to Atlanta, leaving me alone. Uh, and I called Dale and I told him what happened. And I said to him, Dale, we got to get another singer. He says, no, 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 you don't understand. The hook is the fact that you're married. The hook is gone. And from that day forward, I, I regret to say he never would talk to me again because I think we offended him or she offended him or we both offended him. And, um, you know, a guy like that in, in Hollywood doesn't want to lose face the way he did. So that well, was sure. it. He had put that some time, effort and energy into it. He rolled yep. you out to his biggest contacts and then. Yep. Uh, so and then the rug gets pulled out from under you. So. What does that conversation look like with your wife moving forward? I'm sure there's, uh, she's out of there, so I'm sure it fell apart pretty quick, right? It, it was the it was the beginning of the downfall. I mean, uh, and and you know, to this to this day, I still don't know why. I don't know why. Um, I have not seen her since we we uh, we divorced, which is fine, but. You know, it, 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 you wonder, you know, and all this time I've always wondered why, you know, why would, why would somebody do this? And there's gotta be a good reason, but I just don't know what it is. And so of course I stayed the path and uh, kept going. And because my father always told me, he said, son, if you're going to take this on as a career, you, you can't, you can't get out. of If you get out of line, you're going to go all the way back to the back. You got to stay in line. And I remember when he told me that, and I have, I've stayed in line. I've, I've, I've never really at all uh, deviated from what I, uh, you know, set out to do as a. Yeah, but that must've been a huge setback for you. And probably at that, that point in your life, uh, you know, may have been the lowest point of your life to that point. Uh, it was very low. Uh, yeah. I mean, there were days when I could hardly even just stand up. I mean, it was, it was gut wrenching. And then when she decided that, you know, she wanted to split up that was even harder so but uh hey um like That's i said brutal. i wouldn't be talking to you if you know if she didn't do that but then again i wouldn't have a great song like the vow if she didn't or did so uh people it, in it, your position who write music i mean you really do channel some of those tough times into your music oh yeah absolutely yeah, I, uh, I've written I was, a lot of songs that I don't want to, no one will ever hear because they're pretty bad, nasty. <laughs> so uh, It's like getting a million dollars worth of psychotherapy, whether you need it or not, I guess. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's a couple grunge bands might, might like them, but other than that, but yeah, it is. It's, it's, it's a, it, it, very challenging, very challenging. Yeah. I read when I looked through your materials that you have actually performed for, a couple of presidents and i wonder if yeah. if that is the most nervous you've been uh as a performer is to perform for the president of the united states of america and you've done it for two of them yeah um the one that was really the most meaningful is the one when i when i played for ronald reagan <clears throat> at the time i was living in atlanta of course and um he had just left office and of course they were traveling the country, raising money for the Reagan library. And so they'd have these fundraisers, you know, different people's uh, homes and what have you. So uh, I just happened to know a gentleman who was having the party at his home in Buckhead, uh, which is a suburb of Atlanta. And he asked me, would you like to do a private party? I said, sure. He said, well, this is a little special. And he told me it was going to be Ronald Reagan. I said, oh my gosh, Ronald Reagan. He was my commander in chief when I was in the military. Of course I'll do this. What are you nuts? So uh, uh, the day came, I went, and uh, I had to show up early so my equipment could be checked by Secret Service. I had to go to the protocol, and there was a lady there, and she said, I'm Mrs. Reagan's aide. Uh, we have a request. I said, sure. She said, today is Ronald's 80th birthday, or the president, she said. It's 80th. Yeah. And she said, Mrs. Reagan would like to sing his favorite song. It had to be you. Would you be willing to accompany her on the piano? I said, of course, I'd love to. So here we go. 
I get there, I go home, change, come back, get there, start playing the piano. And all of a sudden, the announcement is the president has arrived, he's coming to the front door. Everybody's gathered in this huge, I mean, huge dining room, living room. And I'm at the piano and there's a little door behind me that leads back to the kitchen. Well, the next thing I know, uh, Secret Service walks in and stops kind of like in front of the piano. And I'm facing him. I don't know what's going on behind me. And the next thing I feel are two huge hands on my shoulders. <laughs> so I kind of glimpse behind me. Yeah. And this president ha has his hands on my shoulders standing behind me on the, the piano bench. And here comes Mrs. Reagan. And she takes the microphone and tells everybody. So we do the it had to be you deal, right? Wow. And uh, it was really kind of special. And you're playing, and Nancy uh, is singing to Ronald Reagan. And Ronald Reagan's got his hands on my shoulders, you know, like, you know, my buddy. I don't know what he is, but wow. maybe stand up. I don't know. But anyway, we get done. He takes the microphone, and he does his little speech, you know, how, he, how, how Reagan talked. And I'm sitting, I'm sitting there, and this is all surreal to me, you know, that I'm actually in the presence of one of the greatest men that has ever walked on the face of this earth when it comes to a politician or an actor. Communicator, incredible communicator. I mean, this is the guy, right, who told Gorbachev to tear down that wall. And I'm sitting right in front of him. Well, they leave and apparently they go back and there's this area back in the kitchen where uh, people greet him and he's signing autographs and, you know, well, about 45 minutes after that, the secret service man comes back and says, um, sir, the president would like to see you. I said, what? He says, the president would like to speak to you. I said, oh, would you come this way? So sure enough. So we walked down this hall into the kitchen and there's this little breakfast nook where he's sitting at this table and he's talking with people and I'm standing there and all of a sudden he looks up. And he sees me, he says, oh, sit down, sit down. So I sit down. And for the next 20 minutes, I have this incredible conversation with Ronald Reagan. And he is so gracious. He asked me about my family, where I'm from. When I told him I was from Green Bay, Wisconsin, he says, oh, Vince, Vince was a good friend of mine. I love Vince. <laughs> Vince. Yeah, Vince. Vince was a good friend of mine. I said, my dad worked for Vince. He says, really? You're kidding. I said, no. Well, anyway. Finally, uh, oh, you know, and, and I, I said, sir, I just want to let you know that the, the greatest moment of my life was I spent six years in this army band here in Atlanta. And you were my commander in chief. And I said, I'll never forget the day when the hostages were released just before you took office. And a bunch of us were heading back from lunch and they played the national anthem on the radio. We stopped the car in the middle of the freeway, got out and saluted while the national anthem was being played, right? He looked at me and he stood up and President Reagan put his hand to his, he put his hand to his head and saluted me and said, thank you for your service, soldier. And I, that's it. I, I mean, you could, that could, you, you, that could be the last thing that happens in your life. You know what? I could have, I could, yeah, I could have died right there knowing that I had one of the greatest moments of my life. It, it really incredible was. story. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so of course, latter years, you know, he passes away and um, uh, my wife who's my wife. Now we went to California and I said, I want to go to the Reagan library. And we did. And it was, it was like a slice of heaven to me because not only I helped raise money for that, for that building, but to walk through there. And I said to her at the time, I said, you know, the president we have now should take the time to come up here and just spend a couple of days. I think you could learn something. So um, have you ever been? I've Burke? never been, but I got to go. Burke, you got to put it, and anybody listening to this podcast, you need to put it on your bucket list. And regardless if you're a Republican or a Democrat, if you're an American, you need to go see this library because it's it's filled with so many great artifacts and the life of him and, and, and his wife, Nancy, and the family. 
It's got his Air Force One there. It's got his helicopter there. It's got his limousine there. And you go in the back and that's where they're both buried. And it is just, uh, I'll tell you, it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful place to visit uh, if you love the history of this country. David Searing is our guest today. He played with uh, Nancy Reagan for Ronald Reagan's 80th birthday. What, what an yeah. honor. And, uh, yeah. and then spent many, many years as, as sort of the artist in residence in the Fort Walton Beach Destin area. So chances are, if you ever spend a little vacation time down there, you may have seen David Searing perform. Is that where you met uh, Lori, your, your wife now? In Fort I did, Walton Beach? yes. Uh, she had here um, from Phoenix, uh, Scottsdale, actually. She was working for a company who uh, two guys uh, bought the franchises um, uh, to the pizza huts in the area. And they, when they got there, realized what they had. They needed somebody to uh, do the marketing. So she had worked for these two gentlemen in, in, uh, in Scottsdale. So she moved there. And uh, I met her, I think, the third day after she got there. I, 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 she walked in on me. I was at a golf tournament. And this woman walked through the door and I said, oh, who is this? I haven't seen her around because, you know, I see everybody. Destin's not a very big town, right? Anyway, long story short, uh, uh, I paid the cart girl $50 to find out everything there is about her. And she did. And <laughs> it's a good investment. I've never spent my life. <laughs> so, but I did. And one thing led to another. And, and we got married in 2001, April 6, 2001, right there on the beach. And 20 years later, she still is the love of your life and the inspiration behind your new song, The Vow. And that's yes. why we wanted to have you on the show today to talk about The Vow. Here's the song that uh, that that is pulled from real life, but it seems to really be touching a chord with an awful lot of people from a whole lot of different backgrounds, rich, poor, black, white, um, Certainly it's a wedding song, but it's, it's much more than that. So if you can uh, verbalize it, tell us about the vow. Well, uh, Lori was diagnosed with Parkinson's 14 years ago. And so we've been living that together to the best of our abilities. And, and of course hers. Um, and we came to, a, there, there was a, we came to a point, I came to a point that I think Destin was kind of, I, I ran out of gas in Destin. It was time for me to find something else. So we had talked about it, but we had not made a move. Well, Lori went uh, last December, Lori went to visit her family and um, <clears throat> her mother is still alive, uh, who lives in a assisted living there in, in Fullerton, California. And um, she was staying, uh, she went and visited. She came home. I said, how was your trip? And the the very first things out of her mouth was we're moving to California. I said, Oh really? Why? And she said, well, because I want to, I want to go and spend as much time as I can with my mom in her latter years. And I just want to be with my family and friends, uh, you know, for the rest of my life, not knowing what, you know, the future holds. I totally understood. Um, the next day I called a realtor, we put the house on the market. And, uh, so people were like, uh, we were telling people, you know, we're moving uh, to California probably after the first year. In fact, it was going to be after Easter because I had commitments up until then. And people were going, wait a minute, you're moving to California? I said, yeah, we're moving to California. Why? People are leaving California. In droves I, at that time. In droves and still are. And I said, well, the reason why is because it has to do with my wife and her health and, 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 and her, wanting, her wanting to be with her family. And so, you know. Well, they understood that, but I don't think they really understood the, you know, what was going on. So I finally came up with the terms that this is what I'm going to tell people. Why are you moving to California? And I would say for better, for worse, for richer, for poor in sickness and health till death do us part. I said, that's all you need to know. Well, Lori decided that she wanted to go early. So she left, we packed her up with some of the things she needed before I'd go get there. And she was going to stay with a family, with her uh, family member. And while she was there, unbeknown to us, uh, the difficulty for the family members was, you know, that they really 
had a hard time with her living in their house because of her condition. So we had to scramble and I did, got her out of the house, found some people to take care of her. She went to visit a friend in San Diego and then found out she had friends in Texas uh, that she grew up with when she was a, a, a child. And she went to visit and then she found out her old college roommate lived here in Texas, which is Denton outside of Dallas. And she fell in love with this particular area where they live, which is a 55 plus retirement community um, called Ropes and Ranch. And she said, you're going to love it. I said, why is that? She says, because they got 27 holes of golf. I said, well, that's pretty good. That's a pretty good thing to, to look forward to. Well, I was kind of upset about the fact that what happened with, you know, a family member. And I was getting ready to pack up my office. Of course, you know, we had to get everything put in a pod. And the next book I picked up was my wedding pictures, our wedding album. And I sat down on the couch and I looked through them and I got extremely emotional, extremely emotional. And all I could think of was for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and hell, to death to his part, over and over and over and over again. And Burke, I swear, on my mother's grave, a voice came to me and said, go to that piano right in front of you and write a song with the vows in it. And 40 minutes later is the song you're about to hear. And it and just poured out of you just like that. It, I mean, it was almost, yeah, and poured. I mean, it was like effortless, effortless. And it just, the words just kept coming to me. And, and, the, and, the, and, and it, it was the feeling that I was having looking at that photo album, remembering the day I woke up, how excited I was that morning of my wedding day that I was going to be getting married to one of the greatest women in the world. Right. And that's how, that's how the song starts. I woke up this morning with a smile on my face and I did. And so the song really is, it's, it's a true song. It's something that actually happened. And then in, 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 in the, uh, in the bridge, I felt compelled because it's how I feel. And it starts, and when that time comes when you need my care, I'll remember what I said on that day that we shared. Our love is forever from this very start till God takes us home, till death do us part. And I'm living that. I live that every day of my life because I'm supposed to. Song is amazing, and people are are reacting to it all over the country. Whenever they hear it on the radio, couples are now uh, requesting it to be in in their wedding. So uh, about remembering the day that that uh, David got married, and and no matter how bad things get in a marriage, you still follow those vows that you make to each other. Um, and uh, and we're going to play it for you right now. This is David Searing and the vow. Woke up this morning with a smile on my face Knowing this day would be blessed with his grace When I'd see you walking down that aisle my tears will be flowing even though I smile I waited so long for this day to come When we would be wedded and then become one I want you to know I'm about to say These words are forever until my dying day Better or worse, richer or poor, in sickness and health, it is you I'll adore. I give you my promise from this very start. I'm gonna cherish you forever till death do us part.
beautiful day With family and friends Some came a long way As God as our witness I give you this ring Together forever All the angels will sing Better or worse Richer or poor In sickness and health This very style I'm gonna cherish you forever To death do us part And when that day comes And you need my care I'll remember what I said On this day that we share My love was forever From that very start Till God takes us home Till death do us part For better or worse Richer or poor In sickness and health It is you I adore I give you my promise From this very start I'm gonna cherish you forever I'm gonna cherish you forever I'm gonna cherish you forever till death do us Wow. The Val. That's David Searing. He's our guest on the Big Time Talker podcast. Written for his wife, Lori, who suffers from Parkinson's. They've been together over 20 years. And you said that she has has been dealing with Parkinson's for 14 of those years. Is that right? Yeah, 14 years. Yeah. So a lot of guys would have left. You didn't. Well, you know, a lot of guys would have left. Um, and, 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 you know, Burke, it's just not Parkinson's. It's people who, who have so many different ailments, I might say. But um, other guys leave for other reasons, too, you know. And, um, well, how can you leave? I mean... And let me tell you, it's not been peaches and cream. And she'll tell you, I mean, there's times when she's wanted to leave me because, you know, it's just part of the deal. Um, it's not easy being a caretaker. And that's one of the things I want to, this song to also bring, um, uh, to bring forth is that caretaking is not an easy job when you're trying to take care of somebody who is ill. Especially the song for a couple and, and the wife is suffering from dementia, from Alzheimer's. And- uh-huh. Yeah. And it really seemed to touch a chord um, for that couple as well. Yeah. It's a dedication. It's a dedication to, 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 to both those who are affected by it and to those who have to live with it as the caregiver. Um, uh, it's not easy. I, I, it's not easy. You now spend a lot of time um since this has happened working with with charities um and and have for a long time many musicians do you've hosted this cerebral palsy telethon back home in wisconsin for almost 40 years now and um i wonder what you think it is about this song that is so very personal to you and your story with laurie that is so universal and appeal to other people. Do you have any idea? I think, I think it's because it's about love. I think it's love. And if you have any type of love in your heart after you hear the song and can relate to it, I, I think that's the, the, the driving force, you know, behind it. 
and what it's all about. Um, uh, unconditional love. I mean, I, 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 I think that's what it, it's, I think it's what it's all about, Bert. You, um, you're a man of faith, and um, I wonder how big a place, in your opinion, uh, how big a part faith has played in, in the way that you have dealt with this with Lori. Well, he's blessed me. Uh, he's best. He has blessed me by giving me the opportunity to take care of her. And I always say to myself and other people that I'm very close to, that I think God chose me as her husband because he knew in the future I'd be able to take care of her and I'd understand it. You know, most people that are aware of, of Parkinson's think about it through the lens of of Michael J. Fox and the Michael J. Fox Foundation. Exactly. And, you know, he and Tracy Pollan have been together for many, many years, and um, and he's been very open about how uh, he is dealing with the effects of that horrible disease. I, I don't want you to give up any confidences, but how, can you tell us how Lori's doing? She's doing fine. Um you know, she has the, uh, uh, the tremors, um, but with medication that, you know, uh, she's on, she's fine. She's mobile. It's not like she's, you know, bedridden or anything like that, but, um, she gets, a, she gets around and uh, with my help and other and friends help. And, and so, and frankly, she can, you know, be on her own for uh, a particular, you know, part of time. Um, we're, we're in the process of uh, trying to get her with the uh, deep brain stimulator that they're now uh, using to help fight uh, the tremors. I don't know if you're aware of what that is. No, no. What is that? How does that work? They do. It's, it's, it, they, it's like a, it's actually a pacemaker that they implant in the brain to where it disrupts the uh, communication from the brain to the, uh, to the tremors. And uh, we have met people who have had it done, and it's absolutely remarkable. It's not a cure because there is no cure for Parkinson's as we know it, but it is a, a tool that helps them function a whole lot better than you know than they would be without it. So, and there's other uh, there's other uh, forms of treatment that is being done now uh, where they take a uh, uh, they take the beam, the, 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 the beam of a, uh, uh, oh, ultrasound or an MRI. And they take that 30, there's 3,100 beams of light in an MRI and they make it into one beam. And then they locate in the brain of the patient where it is affecting them. And they put them in that tube for 10 minutes at a time and shoot that, that laser in there for 10 minutes at a time, up to eight hours. And We've seen it happen. We've, we know somebody and, and they, the before and after pictures, and it's remarkable what it does to a person. Uh, this particular gentleman who lives in Philadelphia uh, was diagnosed eight years ago, and he had the procedure. And the very next day, he was able to play basketball in his driveway with his two sons for the first time in eight years. And that's the sort of thing that the proceeds from the song, The Vow, are going to, to help. You're donating the proceeds from the song, if I understand it correctly, to, to Parkinson's Research. Parkinson's Research. That'll be, yep, absolutely. You know, I, it's, it's the least I can do to, to help others who, who, you know, have this or will have it in the future. And, um, and hopefully... From what we understand, they, the one doctor said that they think within three to five years, they may have a cure for it. So, you know, every little bit helps, Burke. You can pick up a copy of the song at searingsongs.com or wherever you download music. It's The Vow from David Searing. And uh, it's uh, it's a, the kind of song that, that is a, uh, certainly it's a cause song, but I think I think David, you're right. It's it's a song that appeals to to love and our better angels, and and so that's why so many couples are interested in using it in their weddings. And uh, I don't know, man. It sounds like you're just the vessel for this one. Well, you know, 
you always wonder what your purpose is on earth. And, um, you know, I've always, I've always wondered, you know, what, it, what is my real purpose? And I think this really, uh, to me, solidifies what God wants me to do uh, with my music. And um, it, it, and it touches so many bases, not just weddings, but people want to use it for anniversaries and, and they want to use it for funerals. Uh, you know, with pictures of their wedding at a funeral where, you know, they show all the pictures. And so it's very universal when it comes. And once again, it always comes back to that word love. It's a great song. Great guy, David Searing. Thank you for being with us today. Burke, thanks for the opportunity. And, and thanks uh, to your listeners that uh, they will take the time to listen to it. That's David Searing. Visit him online at Searing Songs. Dot com and check out the vow there's a guy who's in it for the long haul hey thank you so much for for listening today the show brought to you by our friends at speakermatch.com go out there find somebody to love be good to one another thanks for listening bye everybody <laughs>